0: Welcome to another episode of Wood Couture Podcast. In today's show, we have Monica Moser, Chief Operating Officer of Campbell House International Design Studios. Welcome to the show, Monica.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: I normally do a more detailed introduction, but I'm going to start differently with you because um, (laughs) I, I, I possibly found the most amazing testimonial from one of your clients and uh, a gentleman called Peter Arteveld, founder of uh. Arteveld Hospitality. And I'm going to read it because our audience need to listen to this one. Because I think if it's not your husband, he's close to. <laughs> he knows you very well. And I must admit, after learning about you in reading what is available in the public domain, he described you absolutely in the most amazing way. Listen to this, I have known Monica Mosa for over 10 years, a remarkable and dedicated professional who never chooses to impress and inspire, equipped with an unwavering work ethic, determination and sharp intellect. No challenge is too great. I have seen her consistently provide vision, direction and exemplary personal leadership, true to herself, setting her business apart, resourceful and tenacious, mm-hmm. always committed to adding value and exceeding goals. She is honest and forthright. Monica cares about people and gets the best out of others, setting the example, nurturing talent and receiving loyalty and dedication in return. She is a passionate hotelier, always eager to learn and grow with invaluable experience and unquestionable track records. A creative and strategic thinker, her excellent commercial and interpersonal skills have seen her excel and outmaneuver the competition time and time again. Above all, she's a wonderful person whom I greatly admire on a personal and professional (laughs) level. It is therefore a genuine pleasure to endorse and highly recommend Monica to whoever may have the good fortune to collaborate with her. Therefore, I feel very privileged to have you on our podcast. But please, (laughs) take me back where it all started to make such a great human being. When did you discover that hospitality was for you?
1: Uh, well, a long time ago because my family is in hospitality too. Um, my father was a general manager and I actually grew up in hotels. So um, there is the knowledge of hospitality that came very soon and then there came the, the resistance of a, of a teenager that doesn't want to do what the father did, you know. Um, and I ended up, uh, in hospitality industry. I did actually a, a, a apprenticeship in Germany right after school and uh, this just confirmed my, my passion for hospitality.
0: Wow. So obviously you say your father, and I read um, a quote, your father was in hospitality for 60 years, starting yes. in, in, in restaurants and, and, and then ended up as a general manager.
1: yes he started very early he was 14 when he started in working in kitchen and he worked his way up you know these classical um, stories that um, unfortunately don't exist uh, so much anymore the people worked really in operations um, every step uh, along the way and worked their way up and studied way after he started working Um, he uh, eventually became a general manager he worked in amazing countries he worked in in Pakistan and Jordania, and then ended up in South America in Colombia. Um, he was a chef in a kitchen and then FB manager and then general manager. And that's where I grew up in South America, we, um, where he was working for big chains, uh, Intercontinental, Sheraton, Hilton, and he retired with 81. So you see, there is a lot of passion as well there.
0: Wow. Obviously, with a father like that, what was the best advice he ever gave you (laughs) about hospitality?
1: (laughs) Yes, um, well, actually, he never gave me a direct advice. He always, um, uh, you know, let me me, uh, pursue my dreams, my wishes, my passion. He never said I should go into hospitality, but they always gave me both my parents uh, gave me the opportunity to do so and to uh, and to decide on my own what I wanted. Um, always direct, uh, helping me, uh, you know, from from behind in, in my pursue. Um, but uh, he, you know, we saw the hard work he did. Um, the The passion was behind the hours he spent in there. And yet he was always um, very close to his people, very very close to his clients, a very operational general manager, and um, seeing that um, you know very closely, I think that um, gave me the admiration um, to this uh, to this hard work but very rewarding uh, job in the hospitality industry.
0: Uh, obviously, you, you know, um you you you, you basically. Um, You say you were born in Venezuela, right? Yes. And and you speak five languages. And uh, I have a very tricky question. When you want to swear, in which language do you swear?
1: Oh, um, you can swear very, very uh, very good in in French, actually. (laughs) You know, I worked for some time in the kitchen, and uh, and uh, cooks know how to swear very, very well. So this is the the um, the language of my choice in swearing.
0: Well, well talking about kitchens, you know, I mean, obviously, a, a lot of young people underestimate the value of working in a kitchen environment. What was your experience like in, in the kitchen? Well,
1: it, it is uh, it is a good experience because it makes you uh, tough. You know, you you learn that um, there are there are things that you can go through it and that you um, can achieve anything you want. And uh, that that's mainly what I learned in kitchen. I have spent some time uh, working um, in a uh, in a Michelin starred restaurant, and well, the dedication to quality, the dedication to meticulous work, and uh, pleasing clients um doing the you know achieving the best you can um uh with uh, with a group of people that are all committed to it it's quite amazing and in the kitchen there it's like an orchestra you know they know everybody knows what to do when to do it um you have uh, it's long days obviously but you have a lot of uh uh, support, teamwork, commitment, uh, and, and fun around it. And then, then you have this uh, very short time of service where it goes very fast. There, uh, you can't allow any error, but yet everybody knows what to do. Um, it's, it's quite impressive. And I, I would recommend to everybody to have this experience at one point.
0: Well, I think what I like about your experience is that, and you can relate because from '94 to 2015 you work in various management positions, operational positions in the hotel industry, Sheraton, Shangri-La, Four Seasons, you work for the best Barrière, one of the uh, Parisian, you know, I mean, uh, top quality, you know, establishment, you know, so extensive operational experience, no doubt. What's your best memories of this operational experience? If you look back uh, over these years.
1: It is, uh, I was, I I had three uh, The the good luck to work on three openings, hotel openings, uh, which was one with Hilton, uh, one with Four Seasons. um, And then uh, the Shangri-La that you mentioned before, Uh, I think it, the best experience i had was in these three openings because you uh, build up a team you you work on standards on procedures that uh, can be given obviously from the co- company but uh, you have to adapt them to uh, the place you are then you work a lot with um, uh, unknown situations you know you can put something in place on one day and it doesn't work the next you have to change everything again um we had uh, we had to postpone one opening of the hilton for two months and uh, you know we have all this team what do you do with them now um it, it's it's really an interesting experience uh and then you have the clients suddenly from one day to another where you you know you owned the hotel as an employee and you did whatever you wanted in that hotel and suddenly you have clients and uh, how to switch from one to the other and then how to service the clients with a new hotel that you're actually ex- experiencing yourself it's it's quite amazing
0: and uh, if you look back you know alongside your very good experience is there being any let's say challenging times rather than talking bad experiences that you say you know it was challenged but i've learned from it well
1: yes yeah yes of course uh, i mean uh, it's always difficult situations at the moment, and then when you look back, you um, you see that you learn from it, and that uh, it comes for a reason. Um, I w- was laid off uh, from uh, from positions, and uh, some hotel one hotel closed while I was there, and we had to find uh, other other possibilities. You know, it's always difficult uh, when you go through these uh, situations. Um, you you. Uh, you think that uh, the error is yours, you uh, believe that maybe you should, you have done something wrong, you should have done it differently, but at the end of the day, you know, it makes you stronger, it, uh, you learn from it, you know what you don't want, and I think that's the most important thing to learn, is uh, we all think about what we want in the future, but you should know as well what you don't want, so that you do not... Uh, Make the error to go into uh, positions where you don't feel comfortable or you don't feel um, happy working with the people. Um, And you might learn as well who not to follow in terms of leadership.
0: Right. So if you look back and you go back to the the young um, uh, Monica, what would be your advice to her? You know, if that will happen today, you know, what would you tell her in a situation where you get dismissed? What is the best Uh, thing to do?
1: I I would, you know, I was a very, um, very, let's say, focused and serious person in the past. And maybe I would just uh, tell myself uh, 20 years ago just to relax. Everything comes for a reason. Uh, You know, it it, it turned out to be okay. So uh, I think every young person needs to sometimes slow down, relax.
0: It, 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 it's, it's quite interesting and talking about uh, uh, everything come for a reason, you know, and um, how was the day that Olivier Chavy sent your message, pick up the phone and say, hey, Monica, why don't you come and set up the Parisian office or the regional office of uh, Wilson Associate? How was it? How did you feel? It
1: was, a, it was a quite a funny situation because actually um, I was uh, uh he he asked me if i knew somebody who would be good in opening that office you know and and this is his way of saying yeah actually i'm i'm asking you but i'm not asking you and i was really committed in finding him this right person so i sent him two or three names and i said you know this person should be good but maybe not not for this and that and at one point he said actually i should do it (laughs) so it was uh it, it was a funny situation but i i thought that uh, Olivier, he had uh, this, um, this uh, capacity of seeing through people and seeing what they are really capable of uh, when they even don't know it themselves, you know, so um, I needed to leave operations, uh, it was the right moment um, and still with interior design, I stayed within the hotel world. So it's um, it's something that I'm still, I was passionate about, but I changed completely the the environment, which was um, the right moment to do so.
0: Yeah. So you were prepared for a change. and But, yes. you know, then and now, in, inside you, at your heart, you are a hotelier. So, and uh, you, you were getting into a big job because eventually you became managing director and you have set up you know, a an office of a company had a huge legacy in designing the best places in the world. And uh, how how did you prepare yourself? What, what what did you do, or did you do anything strange to say? You know, you know, to prepare to undertake this massive job.
1: Well, there are a lot of things that we actually do know when we do uh, hospitality, and you know, we and um, we forget that, but we do know. Um, how to manage people and whatever their background is because as a uh, director of rooms I manage people at reception but as well in housekeeping so the backgrounds are completely different it doesn't really matter who you manage as long as you are capable of listening to them Um, so it didn't really change for me much to suddenly uh, manage a design team I learned a lot from them uh, and I hope that uh, they were able to learn as well for me and how to use my operational background in their design Um, and then we um obviously part of my job was um as well everything that is finance everything that is budgeting um all the strategy these are things that you learn in hotel business too in just a, a slightly different way but you can adapt it to any industry so i was prepared for that part um, now, I think I, um, I'm still not a designer, and I don't uh, um, pretend to be, but uh, I have maybe an, an, uh, an ear now to what is happening in the design world, the problems that can arise. Uh, I've always been uh, a person that um, tried to push forward uh, the operational discussion with the design discussion at an early stage of every project. Uh, unfortunately that doesn't happen yet too often. Um, but yes, it, it, uh, I think I grew with the designers because I learned from them. Um, I, uh, I uh, was able to um, adapt my background with the interior design world um, and I, I hope that I was able as well to uh, implement some of um, the operational background to our projects and to the team.
0: It's interesting that um, you mentioned that you grew with the designers. And uh, uh, the reason I say that is because uh, I went back to one of your interviews with um, the alumni of um, Cornell Hospitality. And, uh, and your answer to whether in your experiences you know, uh, hotel operations affected the way you approach design. And, uh, and uh, your answer was, often hotel operators mention that designer are not always adapting the design to operations of the hotel. But you're saying, but also looking at the other side, I must say that designers have very creative and interesting ideas that operators do not always implement correctly. So, you know, you, you work in both sides of the fence. You work in operations and you manage, you know, design teams. So you could see both. My question to you is how do you actually find balance? How do you tackle the design in in order to avoid exactly these situations? In your opinion,
1: it is a a constant challenge and you need to ask a lot of questions. And uh, I I think it all goes back to communication. There needs to be a, a conversation from the very start of the project. Often, uh, what I found, uh, specifically in, in big projects where everything you know have twenty people around and everything is uh, smooth because they have a a very uh, um, um, setting set procedure and all that. Um, the I find that operations of the hotel uh, come in after design has been done, which is way too late. Um, basically, I, the ideal situation would be that uh, architect, owner, uh, you know, operator and designer sit together at the very beginning and start building up uh, the design, the, uh, the flow of the hotel, what do you want to achieve with the design, what are your challenges with it, uh, etc. I remember one hotel where um, we needed to work on the room metrics um, and of the floor plans of the rooms. And I asked the designers, you know, uh, uh, you have no communic, you, you know, you have very little communicating rooms in this hotel. You, you should uh, check if this is uh, um, a problem. If they have complaints uh, right now, because if we renovate it, obviously we want to kill all those complaints in the future. And I asked them to call the hotel because the best person to know if they have problems with the clients because of connecting rooms would be the front office manager, right? And they called the hotel and we got a lot of problems with the operator because of that. So, you know, they don't want us often to have these discussions, which for me are very obvious because you want to make the best perfect design which is as well the best functional design. And that um, helps the operational team not to have any more problems in the future. Obviously that's the ideal situation but we can very easily with good ideas from the designers that are creative and not always more expensive find solutions to the problems they have now but uh, this conversation needs to happen at one point
0: it's it's interesting because uh, you, you're one of the very few person that talk about functionality actually you know it's uh hmm. and um, it's incredible how um, you know look and feel it takes priority over um functionality but my my question I have to you you know there is a lot of critics that actually you know condemn some of the design and say hey fantastic is beautiful is visionary but functionality lacks you know my question is does the design industry have to recruit more people with your background, from operational background, or what what is the solution to address this issue?
1: I think the solution in any case would be to um, diversify and to uh, um, mix up uh, industries. You know, it's always, in, in Europe it's not very common to switch from one to the industry to the other, and yet you get so much experience from every kind of industry. Um, I would say in in our design world, um, what will be quite um, positive is that sometimes designers go back to the operations. Let's say they work for a couple of months, uh, as a receptionist you know just to get the experience as well um, or they they are f and b experienced designers why don't you go back to um to the restaurant and do some service on the weekends just to see what problems they have when they service clients um it's, it's like when you're in a, in a university that teaches for example hospitality management i would expect that my teachers go back from time to time to the you know hospitality world to see how it is actually working in hotels um I, I, it's a recommendation i have for any kind of work is go back to basics sometimes
0: so as it, almost saying we need to set up a training to address the issue of functionality in, in, why not the, for the <laughs> design industry obviously you, you did a lot of education you have your mba from essec uh school which is one of the top-ranking schools, you know, particularly in business and hospitality, on both, and a lot of the leaders actually graduated from MBA from ESSEC, so it is remarkable. And also, you you did the development program at Cornell in Ithaca, and your mm-hmm. father was there many years, well. much many years before. So you know, again, family connection all over the place. And uh, the question I have: Do you think that all these courses address this kind of issue we discuss it now? Or, or is it purely bread and butter, uh, core subject?
1: You mean uh, the...
0: the um... Issue the design of hotels, the functionality, the imbalances that there is, budget also could be another area?
1: Well, yes, budget is always a good excuse. I mean, you can design to budget. It's not always a problem. Um, I think you... Uh, the, there are too many silos now in our industry, um, you have in looking in, in big operators, you have a team that is design team, you have a team that is development team, and then you have the operations team and everybody has its targets. So let's say a, a, a development team, its targets would be to sell this brand to the owners as much as possible, they do so. Um, but it's not always adapted to what the client needs or what the what the hotel is um, you know built for so um, i think there there must be a mix up more um, of of the different uh, 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 backgrounds of the different jobs we are doing and more discussions in between and not creating the silos within a company um, I see as well, a problem is that a lot uh, in, in the search of new designers, in the search of new, um, of uh, younger design firms, um, a lot of uh, design firms are taken that have no experience in hospitality was fine, um, but they need to partner with uh, designers that have done already hotels or um, have a solid operational team Going along them because um, it's it's one thing designing apartments and it's another thing designing hotels. Um, It's not always the aesthetics that count.
0: It's quite interesting and and uh, you know and uh, I I, I like your answer and I would say that um, in a recent interview uh, with I think Sleep and Eat magazine and uh, you said the hospitality industry have to go back to essentials. And uh, clients will have different expectation in terms of hygiene, service, and experiences. You know, you know. This was about regarding the new era, the the new. How can I say to you the new normal? But m- my question to you is, you know, I mean, and, uh, considering your incredible experience of operations and and you know and being involved with design teams that uh, you know design the best places and, uh, but should they always be like that or why do we need the covid to realize that we need to do things properly
1: <laughs> what's your thoughts? Yeah, it's an excellent question sometimes you need a good crisis to go back to to the reality but, uh, i think in uh, we, we have in everything we do we have forgotten to go back to basics um, is uh, i think the, the most interesting thing that came out now looking back because uh, i mean in, at least in paris we can say we are going a little bit back to normal um, is that uh, personal relationships and being face-to-face and meeting people in person is really important for everything you do. Um, I mean, Zoom was great, but um, there, there were some limitations to it, and I think that, uh, that showed us how important uh, relationships are, um, being, being deprived from it. Um, I think basics are as well, uh, hospitality itself. I mean, we, we forget what the word is all about, uh, servicing clients, servicing people. Um, there has been a lot of, uh, uh, a search for new concepts a search for uh, trendy things for the you know the the, the new amazing uh, uh, thing people are searching for but at the end of the day we are servicing clients in hotel and they're sleeping in hotel beds and wanting a good shower so i think sometimes just you know go back to to the basics of our job
0: talking about new things and um, that you know obviously you Know new is different meaning by anybody, but in particular, talking about lifestyle. Everybody now talking about lifestyle. You saw what Accord did, created this billion dollar company with what 20 brands on the lifestyle segment. And uh, what's your thoughts on lifestyle? You know, I mean, how challenging is to design a lifestyle hotel? It's
1: it's difficult because lifestyle means different things for different people. Um, it's a difficult word to, de- word to define and I'm always hesitant using that word. Um, it's, we are, we are trying to create brands now for a very selective uh, group of people. Um, before, like when I started in hospitality, we had one chain and uh, people went to this chain because they knew what to expect uh, all around the world. And they were traveling, traveling was not so common yet. And they were traveling to hotels where they felt secure, obviously. Um, This is now completely different. We are not trying to um, design one thing for everybody, and we're not trying to be better than our private homes, because we have everything in our private homes now, but we are trying to um, make a specific experience for a specific group of people. Now, once a brand has decided which group of people they are targeting, they might need to to find what, what this group of people are searching for in their travels, and that can be lifestyle. But lifestyle means again a lot of different things for different people. Uh, for for youngers might be a different idea than for for my generation. So it, it, I, I'm not really uh, keen to use that word lifestyle. Um, maybe urban is one kind of word that you should use, um, but it, it's difficult. It's difficult to define that.
0: What what makes you so nervous of using that? <laughs> world lifestyle is
1: you know it's the same thing and maybe i can explain it better with the word luxury i I'm, I'm very hesitant to use the same word luxury for everything um and a lot of brands use luxury where i don't think they actually understood what luxury is um i uh, i used to teach uh luxury for some students in the past and uh my first image that I showed was a McDonald's sign. And I said that that's luxury for me and explain me why. And it it created very interesting discussions, but I I said to the students, uh, look at the situation. I am in the desert, haven't had a a drink for the last uh, two days. I'm very, very thirsty, it is hot. And then suddenly there comes an oasis and there is a McDonald's and they pour me uh, a Coca-Cola with ice and it just looks beautiful and you know that's at this moment in time it is luxury for me to have the possibility to drink an ice cold coca-cola and so luxury for me is really the situation it's the moment of time and what is your needs luxury can be uh, the time I spent with my daughter because I haven't got so much or the possibility to um, you know um, provide for a comfortable living I don't need a back. back. I don't need uh, a, a very expensive watch. That's not luxury for me because I don't need it. So it's it's a term that has been used and reused and w- washed down maybe at one point.
0: So Coco Chanel used to say, if it's not comfortable, it's no luxury. Bernard Arnault said, luxury is quality and creativity. So what's luxury for Monica Mosa in two words? <laughs>
1: In two words, luxury is time for me.
0: So having the the the, the, the privilege of time is a luxury.
1: The Fantastic. privilege of time and the possibility to spend the time as I wanted to spend.
0: Do you think the luxury and lifestyle actually goes hand in hand? The way it's been portrayed in the in the industry?
1: um yes for some it is portrayed like that um it is uh, it's again defined for some people for their kind of lifestyle right um and i would say it's it's depending on an age as well um the the kind of lifestyle you have when you are in your 20s maybe um different to what we would uh, now uh, define as our way of living
0: you know i, I, I... I have to, you know, I, I wrote down a few words in here to describe Monica, based <laughs> on what i read. reading, and I wrote strongly motivated, strong sense of vision and purpose, positive, involved, and em- empathetic, you know, empathy, empathy not pathetic, empathy, empathy. Uh, so, but I would add one more word, visionary, and I'll tell you why, because in 2018, your famous Cornell interview, they asked you a question of what would be emerging trends in design. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you said, what is very interesting is the movement towards smaller independent hotels. They are created by non-hoteliers. Mm-hmm. They have a different eye on things, and they do things differently. So to me, differentiation is probably what this lifestyle brands try to create They are only if you look at mama shelter was created by probably non hotelias if you look at 25 hours was created by a non if you look at uh, citizen m you know i mean it was created by non hotelia so and you clearly say they've got a different eye but also you had another point so the first question i have for you why you almost anticipated a movement towards yeah. lifestyle mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, at this point, uh, these hotels were not necessarily already brands. And I don't think that uh, these non-hoteliers created those hotels thinking that they might do a brand out of it. Um, And that's the interesting part. Somebody comes with an idea, um, goes into uh, building a hotel and this hotel becomes a, a great success. And then he starts replicating it. Uh, Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, because not always all uh, ideas work in every location. So um, that's where I'm hesitant in using the word brand, because sometimes you need to adapt it. Uh, And those who are smart adapted their ideas to other locations, and some just replicated their brand to other locations and realized that it didn't work.
0: Yeah, you you also added... On the same answer very interesting concept uh, arriving from co-working co-living open space lobbies and uh and one thing the hospitality has been doing well is uniting people mm-hmm. you know what i mean and uh, but with covid everybody talk about social distancing so my question to you is this one do you still believe this is the case that this is, it will be back this co-working co-living and uh Co-join it, or, yes. or are we living in a different? What, what do you think would be the, the the trends in design coming up, based on the recent pandemic?
1: Yes, no, it's a good question because obviously we uh, we are afraid uh, of uh, of uh, the virus and 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 um, hygiene is very important and uh, you see it in France, kissing is not a subject anymore, which is uh, you know <laughs> never seen that before, but. Um, it is i think we still and more now than ever we have this necessity of being together um of meeting people of being face to face and the uh, spaces that that foster that co-working co-living um they uh, they will have a success if they do it smartly obviously with um building in a certain hygiene uh, protocol but uh it, we we need to be around people um this is just uh, the way we we are built on um i think uh, the the as well with uh, the working uh, situation i mean people want to work from home pe- some others want to work in the office i think the the next uh, f- the future of the working will be the flexibility of do- doing whatever you feel you have you need right now? And it might be a blend of all that. And sometimes, yes, I need to be alone for myself. I don't want to see anybody, and I'm in my pyjamas all days. And uh, you know, that's that's possible. But on the other hand, I have the possibility to meet people wherever I want. Um, I think that's important. They become maybe more meaningful, um, these interactions with people.
0: What do you hate most about this COVID situation relating to hospitality? I mean, you are an Otelia, you must have something. Please don't do that because you, know, I mean, you, you you hate the most.
1: <laughs> but uh, in terms of operations, um, I don't think that uh, it, it should be a... a uh, hygiene shouldn't be a subject where you um, market your hotel for. It should be just normal. I mean, what I never understood is what did we do before? Um, didn't we clean our rooms before? It wasn't, you know, weren't the rooms hygienic? enough that we need to showcase that they are nowadays. Uh, I, I wouldn't do too much uh, because of the COVID. People know who know your brand and trust your brand, they uh, should trust that you have clean rooms.
0: Moving on to your current role, you know, obviously you, you are... I remember the day I saw the announcement that, you know, Wilson Associated, you know, dissolved, you know, for many reasons, no need to repeat that, but... Uh, but I was even happier, and uh, and I think I couldn't wait to hit the the send button to send your message to congratulate you on the on your appointment, uh, chief operating for Campbell House, and uh, and I love the statement of Beth Campbell, the the current CEO, and um, and the lady that put together all this talented team and said, I needed to find a partner who could build a team while working strategically alongside. Me mean Beth on initiative and foster a talent of first ecosystem driven by cultural mindset of growth, transparency, and transformation. And Monica is that person. You know, I, I love this a talent first ecosystem. So what what are you doing differently now in in uh, recruiting and getting the right people to fit within this new culture that you are doing differently, Ah uh, 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 Wilson.
1: Yes, it's a good it's a good question. Now, Wilson Associates was a very established firm and uh, had a long time uh, employees already. They were very talented. Um, Yeah, I I mean, obviously, the situation was uh, as it was, and we were a little bit forced into um, a different uh, in a different situation. But uh, what we want to create with Beth, and and, and that's what I admire, I admire at Beth. she has this great vision um, and a very uh, client and people focused uh, approach in everything she does, Um, we we search people that are not only excellent designers because there are incredible designers out there, but we want to create a culture where everybody is involved into design, and um, we want to create a, a culture where people uh, feel empowered to uh, make their decisions and to um, transmit their competencies um, to uh, to the clients. To to the project but as well to the team around them and we want uh, them to uh, help younger designers grow um, having always the next steps in mind Um, talent development is uh, extremely important for us and while you can um, teach people to uh, think this way it comes from a mindset that you have, an attitude that you have. Um, you, some things you can't train. Some things, you know, just you have in yourself. And people who do not foster that, who do not foster the growth of their team around them, they they won't have a, a place in our company. We want to have a team that um, challenges each other to grow.
0: So, are you looking for people also that have got operational background to insert into? The, the vision of uh, Campbell House?
1: Yes, yes, obviously. Um, I mean, we, we like people that had a diverse background and it's not only diversity that comes from different cultures, different uh, uh, countries they have lived in or a project they have worked on, but as well, a, a diverse background in in working experience. Why not? Um, and you you grow from every experience you have had. and. Uh, I think the um, if you design hotels, it's always interesting to know how hotels work. If you have worked in hotels, it's good. Um, but we do not only design hotels, we do as well um, design workspaces and casinos. And we design, um, you know, we have been working on a... Uh, uh, senior living uh, concept and all these experiences uh, we need the designers that um, have touched these experiences before whether it was on a real uh, working um, uh, s- a scenario or they have worked on projects before so it is definitely important to have this diversity
0: wow well, it is it, it, is fascinating hearing you know I mean, obviously what you guys are um are growing, which is incredible. And you talk about diversity, you talk about empowerment, and I want to touch upon. Obviously, Campbell House is a, a, a remarkable example of women empowerment. Beth, CEO, you are chief operating officer, and I've seen a lot of the creative directors, their female colleagues, and uh, so there is a lot of industry They are progressing quite well. The agenda of um, you know uh, gender equality. And uh, how do you think the uh, design industry have done in uh, on this subject?
1: Um, design industry or any industry, I think uh, we are still very, very much behind uh, gender equality. But I, I you know, I've, I'm not maybe not a good feminist to ask, but uh, I think uh, we have our part to play there as well. Um, maybe we have to ask a little bit more to get into those roles and. Uh, And uh, be uh, tough enough to do so. Um, I don't like uh, to hear from companies where they have a target or they have a um, a percentage, their quota they need to fill in with women in leadership position because that goes exactly in the opposite direction. I mean, women are uh, uh, are maybe not good too. You know, I mean, maybe there are um, bad women out there in leadership positions. It's it's just. uh, I think. You should promote the right person, whether it's a woman or a man.
0: It's a matter of skills and attitude, right?
1: Skills yes. and attitude, exactly. And a uh, drive to, do, uh, to move forward, a drive to um, bring a company forward, a drive of bringing the people with you and, uh, and helping a team around you grow. And as it happens, my direct team is uh, female, but uh, it's not, you know, it wasn't a specific choice. It's just they were good. <laughs> so I promote them. Hey.
0: You know, it's, it's, I, I agree with you on, on, on that. And it's also interesting to say that uh, it's not nice to have statistics. One of my uh, colleagues, you know, in the office, he was telling me, but do you realize that we have 78% of our workforce, including our China factory, they are female. I said, I didn't even know. You know, maybe I, f- I feel so comfortable that I don't even notice that 78% of the people working in the organization are female. And... Uh, I don't know. I feel we have uh, one more gear, you know, for some reasons. You know, I mean, hey, is it, because I'm Italian. I don't know. It's uh, but uh, it's, I, I feel I feel very comfortable and uh, super comfortable. I mean, I'm privileged to to have that. And what about sustainability? How do you feel yes. the the agenda sustainability has been embraced by the design industry? Have we
1: done uh, enough? Not, no, not yet enough. Uh, I think a lot of industries lack still a, a commitment to it. Uh, In terms of um, hotel projects, what I found is that uh, in, uh, let's say, what is it? Six years now that I've been working in the design industry, we had not had one request of a sustainable project. Um, So it comes as well from the very beginning. There must be a commitment as well from the people who are actually investing the money to the project, right? There is just so much as a a designer can do. And it's not, again, not uh, budget related. But, um, we would, for example, uh, work on projects in, in foreign countries where we will use local um, artisans, local handcraft. Um, we will try not to fly around the world too much, but, uh, you know, do uh, as much uh, virtual meetings as possible on the project little things can do a lot of difference and we uh, we train our designers as well to use products that are sustainable and we challenge our suppliers to share with us their sustainable uh, products but at the end of the day that must come from the people who are um, building up the project and uh, and having this commitment from the owner from the uh, investors from the uh, hotel operators as well
0: why do you think is that in, in the last six years of your experience you know, nobody has brought up the, the, the request of, uh, um, of sustainability? What do you think is the, the, the real reason behind why people don't, don't proactively go for it?
1: I think it's knowledge. Uh, people believed it would be too expensive, you know, that uh, sustainable projects, ecological projects are just more expensive than others. Um, which nowadays is not necessarily true anymore. But um, I think we, we lacked um, the information, uh, the, uh, the promotion of a sustainable project. And I think that it changed as well with, um, with COVID. People are more conscious now. Um, and I think that is a movement that will eventually arrive as well um, to the investors of hotels.
0: What habits or behaviours in the last five year, had changed the way you see things.
1: Oh, a good question. Yes, um, I uh, behaviors in my in my uh, work around my uh, my team. Um, Anything. I think in uh, what I what I've learned these five years. Um, I, let's say before COVID um, was that. Uh, you need, to, you need to be very attentive to um, the client's needs, we had much more than you, we were in the hotel operations. Um, the, the person who is deciding on a project uh, is um, not necessarily the person that is at the end deciding on, um, on how the design direction is going. Uh, and designers that for me are competent uh, will really listen to what the uh, client wants. And, and client, I'm talking the end user. Um, it's uh, it's very difficult to go into a project and have a very strong brand or a very strong owner that wants a specific design, and you know diplomatically guide them towards what uh, the end user would actually require. Um, I think that is something that I still need to work with my team on, on um, helping that the project is a success and maybe not necessarily with the ideas of the operator, of the owner in mind.
0: How do you diplomatically say no? <laughs> Sorry, it's not going to work. Please, <laughs> I want to learn it.
1: <laughs> what, well, what's you your strategy? In, you learn in operations, you never say no, right? You always say yes. <laughs> but. <laughs>
0: But it must be amazing somebody that comes there that, you know, employ your talented team and say, I want this design. And, you know, deep inside is not going to work. How do you say no to that?
1: Well, um, a good uh, possibility is to show the different options, obviously, um, is to um, do the design they expected to have and then show them an alternative that might be... Um, working as well for the same purpose. And um, sometimes they have a specific idea in mind, which we then design uh, to show them that like this, it doesn't look very good. Um, but is you know, you accompany them. At the, at the end of the day, they make the decision and then we have to accept that. But uh, I would say you hire professionals because they are professionals in what they're doing. So it would make uh, no sense and it would be a waste of money if you hire them and then you tell them what they have to do. Um, But it is, you know, it's a process. It is a process.
0: What what clients normally like, in your opinion, like to compromise? Design, look and feel or budget?
1: (laughs) Well, the money rules. At the end, it's the budget. Um, But... uh, (laughs) You know that's it's it's interesting because it is but having a budget is the most difficult information to obtain when you start a project. I never understood why. It's uh you, you know, you you build a hotel, you should know what you're willing to spend for it. And sometimes we hear we are not giving you the budget because you, we don't want to uh, limit you in your creativity. I mean, a cr- a designer is creative, no matter what. And sometimes he's even more creative if he has challenges in front of him. So a budget means a challenge. And uh, if he has a limit of the budget, then he can design within that, still being very creative and finding actually solutions that might be even better. But what happens when you don't have a, a budget at the beginning, but you receive it by the end, telling that, okay, we did a design here and then no, it doesn't work, it's too expensive. You have to cut First of all, it's a waste of time spent on it, but as well, it it's taking off something that might be beautiful without compensating somewhere else where we could have started like that.
0: So how do you feel about the term value engineering?
1: <laughs> I think it's very important. And uh, this is one of the people um, that I want around the table from the very start of the project. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a very hot topic, you know, I mean, uh, our media, uh, our social media went ballistic about talking about value engineering because uh, we strongly believe in engineering value. And uh, you, you just said something very important, starting from getting involved from the very beginning. You know, and uh, uh, ha, ha, have you been surrounded by a designer that created a masterpiece and eventually the client destroyed it? How, how was the reaction of that designer? How did well, he feel? What was the real feeling of an artist? They get chopped off, like going to Van Gogh and say, "Let me cut it." It doesn't work. So
1: yeah, you might you might find that uh, actually designers are very um, flexible. Um, at least those I worked with before. And uh, you know, with Wilson, we had the great fortune to work with Tristan Auer, who was uh, an extremely talented, who is an extremely talented designer, and one of his um, very strong. Uh, competencies is that he will always design for a client for uh, for the for the building for the history of it never for himself he never designed something with a specific um, design style that he imposes and so I never saw him angry about somebody cutting on his design he actually took it always as a challenge to improve in another direction and uh, I think the one thing that he was good at is teaching this to other designers around him so the team that we had um, and the team that we are building now um, is a team that is uh, very flexible in their design uh, and will never impose a, um, a, a style or a, a design idea just for the sake of it because they uh, invented it um, they need to be humble um, It's. It's not. It's not the designer's project. It's not the designer's hotel. Uh, you know, we are not designing for us. We are designing for somebody else. So we need always be mindful of that.
0: So for those designers that have a big ego, it's like put your ego on the side and listen to your clients and do what is right. I think if I understand correct.
1: Yes, and I have seen situations where a designer has told the general manager how he has to do his job, and I thought, you know, just. Everybody has a very good experience in what they're doing, and we need to listen to each other and be uh, humble.
0: You know, it's I, I love talking to you because uh, it's um, uh, it's got a lot to do with intelligence and common sense. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, and uh, and uh, I was fortunate enough to 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 get hold of your recommended reading list, and uh, and I see a lot of books. There is a lot of you know, Patrick Leon Leoncioni and uh, Benjamin Hardy are probably one of your favorite because you read a lot of their titles. But there is a lot of titles that talk about collaborative intelligence, the intelligence trap and emotional intelligence. Why are you so interested in both the intelligence subject? <laughs>
1: Well, uh, in general, I read a lot and uh, it's uh, the, the list I put uh, out there is uh, a management list. Obviously, I read a lot uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, um, fiction as well. Besides that, but um, I think we can learn a lot from uh, intelligence that is not uh, IQ related. People uh, tend to come out of universities, you know, I have uh, the MBA in the best uh, But they are not skilled in in an operational environment or with people or um, listening to uh, uh, each other, because um, it's not always related to that IQ. Um, Emotional intelligence, for example, is for me a very important topic. Um, You can, for example, let's say um, people don't like um, to have frictions in the in the working environment, whether it is with colleagues or with clients, you know, or disputes or confrontations and because it's always seen as negative, but uh, emotional intelligence will show you that these things are necessary. Um, and obviously, if you learn how to um, use emotional intelligence correctly, then you know how to make a confrontation a very um, fruitful situation for for everybody, because at the end of the day, it's not about us winning, but, but of the, the group, everybody, everybody together working correctly and sometimes you need this, you know, the expression "the elephant in the room." Sometimes you just need to kill this elephant in the room with a good confrontation, and that you learn with emotional intelligence. So, the books um, help a lot learning these things, learning yourself better as well. I think um, uh, this is the basis of everything: is knowing yourself. And uh, yeah, the the reading list I, I have put out there are some of, some of those uh, I uh, I appreciated most.
0: So, but there's also a scary book, The Art of War, Sun Tzu. (laughs) (laughs) Like, maybe, no, I understand why you want to kill the elephant. You know, you you learn the the good tactics in here. (laughs) What is the book all about?
1: uh, Well, Sun Tzu is The Art of War is is a a must read, I think. It it works in every situation if if you translate it correctly. You have to have a lot of humor, obviously, as well. But uh, you know, was, I think one of the biggest uh, um, learnings from that is that, uh, first of all, a war is not always avoidable, um, but as well in uh, how to, in, in in using your energy for the right war, for the right moment, at the right time. And uh, war is uh, is always a hard word, but it's it's the confrontation around it and. Uh, uh, it, it's an interesting book. It's a, uh, it's a good, uh, good uh, management book, I think.
0: I, 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 one of the books you have in your list, I think is probably one of my top three favorite and is Irene Meyer, the cultural map. I think she's a professor in SIAD in Fontaine And, yes. uh, <laughs> I, 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 fantastic. Uh, I was amazed how she can tell how to deal in different cultures. Yes. You know I mean? It's, uh, and learning, you know, the French going to China and uh, or the Germans, I can't remember now what it was, but uh, it, it's one of my favorite. And um, how you live in many countries, you speak five languages. So you are a polyglot, you are a lady of the world. You know, I mean, uh, you have a, a very elastic mind. And uh, because, you know, th- that's the ability of people that learn the, a lot of languages, they can switch on and off very quickly because of your elasticity of the mind. And... Uh, Do you relate to that book, or what part of the book do you relate on on that?
1: A lot of the parts I relate to. I I mean, uh, being in, I lived in very different cultures. You must uh, imagine that you have um, my German background, uh, and you know I don't like to stereotype, obviously. But we Germans are very um, structured and organized, and maybe we lack a little bit of uh, flexibility. Um, and then you have the, uh, the place where I grew up in South America, where, you know, everything is tomorrow and we'll be fine and a uh, much more relaxed atmosphere. So it's, it, it is a cultural shock when you have these two coming together and um, the book is actually shows you why the book explains you what the differences are. And it's not always related. And that's why I don't like to stereotype. It's not always related on the countries, but it is. um it, it gives you a direction uh on how to understand the other better and um for example me coming to france uh, almost 25 years ago i had to learn by heart that uh, you have uh, on a very concrete uh, things is to have to write emails in a much more flowery way that we were we were used to you know with germans we send hi this is what you have to do bye and um In France, you have to, you know, put a little bit more, uh, you know, a bit more story around it. And uh, I learned that because people got frustrated with me because they found me too directive. So these things uh, teach you how to approach uh, different cultures, have an open mindset, um, not get frustrated if people don't understand you or, you know, you have to just tell the story differently. And uh, this book—it's uh, a really a, a must-read for people that deal with other cultures. It's really good.
0: I'm reading a book now called "Think Again" by Craig Adams, and uh, and uh, he believes is to unlearn and take away your beliefs that you know w- w- what history have taught you, you know, on your own experience, personal and professional. And he said, try to go in with a very clean. You know, uh, canvas. You know, I mean, in everything you do. But my, my question is, you know, is um, can can you actually do that? You know, I mean, c- can you go and interview a new person that want to join Campbell House and forget about what you've learned? You know, in all these years about different situations. You know, I mean, how how do you tackle your interviews for new joiners?
1: It is interesting because you always have a uh, first impression already by reading a a curriculum, for example, and uh, you have to be very open-minded to um, get away from stereotypes, uh, obviously. Um, When I tackle interviews, first of all, we never do interviews uh, only by one person. It will be several people um, interviewing and specifically the people this, uh, this candidate will be working with because you have to be comfortable with your colleagues. You have to be Um, you know, you, you have to feel that this person is exactly the person you want to spend so much time with. So, um, we ask, I I tend to ask a lot of, uh, behavior-based questions. Um, the curriculum itself doesn't interest me that much, um, because it's on the paper, you know, I, you don't need to comment it more than that. I would like to see how you feel on this situation or, um, how you, um, behaved in difficult situations, or how you, what is important for you when you deal with clients or employees or colleagues, and are you a team player? Are you somebody who accepts uh, challenges and setbacks? And uh, what is actually the biggest setback in your life? You know, things, things like that. It's much more interesting for me, and it tends always to become a conversation.
0: So, it's about the individuals. I think if you understand correct, you know, you look at the person, you know, I mean, uh, whether they can fit within the team, you know, I mean, uh, if you can work well together, rather than, okay, this is why you worked and what you've done. Obviously, that become part of it, but uh, it's very much yes. a, a, a people driven
1: because technical skills you can teach people. Um, and obviously, uh, talent is something different because uh, either you have talent or you don't. And we work in an industry where talent is very important. But um, uh, I don't really care if you had this MBA, obviously, it gives you a certain credibility. I don't care if you had. Um, you know this this score or the other one in in, in your test. Um, what is important for me is that you fit in a team, and that's where uh, diversity comes in as well. Because um, you might be a person that, you know, I, I I would not meet for a coffee outside work because you you know it's not specifically what uh, what my interests are, but you fit in the group. Uh, And whether your character or your background or your uh, behavior fits in the group. And a group is not people that are like-minded. A group is people that challenge each other with different ideas. So um, if I don't take a candidate, it's not necessarily because it's not a good person. It's just this person um, with this character, with this behavior, with this mindset, is not somebody somebody that fits immediately in the team we have built.
0: One of your... Passions, I would say, is opera, right? <laughs> and and yes. in, in quite a few of your pictures, you are uh, portrayed at Opera Garnier, which sounds like yes. one of your favorites. Why is your favorite?
1: I have two favorites in Paris. Uh, opera Garnier is one favorite because of its uh, majestic uh, uh, surroundings. It's not necessarily the best for operas because uh, acoustics are not uh, that perfect um but it's a beautiful setting and uh and the um the history of the opera obviously is is just amazing um the other one i prefer is the théâtre champs-elysées um it's a, a, a smaller uh, opera at the um, avenue montaigne in the eighth arrondissement and i go there often yes and uh, operas but well classical concepts.
0: so considering you talk about the champs-elysées right If we go straight down, you know, bang in the center, there is the lovely Arc de Triomphe. And uh, so if I put you a massive, gigantic, white billboard, what message would you write in there that everybody can see?
1: What message?
0: Yeah, what message (laughs) would you write in there? Uh,
1: Come to Paris soon, we need (laughs) tourists.
0: Come to Paris. Come to
1: Paris. (laughs) We we are we are waiting for our tourists to come back. The city needs an international public.
0: Wow, that, that, that's a very strong message. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it, it sounds that you have your heart in Paris because you could have said, hey, you know, I mean, uh, bring a project to Campbell House. No, you say, come to Paris, which is incredible. <laughs> it's um, or you know, vote for oh, Monica. I-, I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs>
1: Um, I love Paris, yes, and obviously I've spent much, most of my time, uh, my life in, in, in Paris, in France, but uh, it's, you know, when you are a person that, uh, my passport says I'm German, my, my parents are German, but I grew up in different countries in South America, it is difficult for me to say, to answer the question, where are you from? Because uh, what 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 do I identify with is much more appropriate, you know. What uh, I wouldn't say I'm German because I didn't live so much in Germany. Um, am I South American? Maybe, but I lived in so many countries in South America, so I can't really fix one. Uh, France has been uh, my home for such a long time, and most of the um, major situations in my life happened in Paris. So. I would identify uh, with, with Paris and with France.
0: So, considering that you said that, hey, I cannot answer where I'm from, but I, I can tell you where I want to be associated with, what project or building would you love to get involved with, say that will be my career favourite?
1: <laughs> it is always the uh, uh, historical building. It's always a challenge. And obviously, there are so many in Paris to do. Um, but a, the historical building with a, uh, um, a hotel involved and where we can, um, enhance the, uh, the, the, uh, historical part of it without going into the, um, into this, this uh, historical luxury of it. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm expressing it clearly. I, again, I need, I need to talk with a designer to have this flowery imaging, But it's like uh, a lot of this historical buildings and interior design, they tend to adapt to that history, which I think one can use a little more modern approach to actually enhance the historical side. That would be interesting to do.
0: So be your history attached to the world that's what you're trying to say you know is uh, I, I want my name attached to an historical building
1: which Maybe. is which is
0: great and um, if in 10 years time episode 10,000 of Woodkachu podcast, where Monica will it be?? <laughs>
1: I, I still will be at Campbell House. I believe uh, in this firm, I believe in uh, what Beth has uh, has uh, built with uh, the team and with the approach and the idea. Um, I might be CEO. Let's see what Beth has to say to that.
0: <laughs> so you know hiding your ambitions, yeah?
1: She knows that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? You know, you know. So if tomorrow she calls you and hey, Congratulations, you're now Chief Executive Officer. What's the first thing you will do? <laughs>
1: um, I will, uh, the first thing I will do, um, for the company maybe, I, I will uh, keep the best with me on my side. I will need that for a long time to come. Um, I will expand to uh, South America, I guess.
0: With a new paycheck, what would you buy first? What will be your, well, your treat for you?
1: I have no desires uh, at all. Um, I you know I would um, spend it with my family on a trip altogether. I'm not a, a, a materialistic person.
0: So where would you go in that trip? <laughs> what destination would you choose?
1: I would I would go to South America.
0: But you know
1: I know it sounds it sounds terrible what I'm saying because I'm come from there but uh, you know the thing is that when you uh, my family is in Ecuador. Uh, and my parents are in Ecuador and my brother um, comes from Colombia. I haven't seen much of the rest of the of South America. I've never been in Chile, I've never been in Argentina. Um, I've never been to Uruguay. you know there's so much more to see that uh, because the fact that I've always gone to the same places to be with my family, I have not visited. Um, and this, People always say to me they go to Asia because it's another culture. I think the culture that interests me more is still South America.
0: So you were born in Venezuela, but you identify yourself as fitting well in Paris. <laughs> but eventually, the day the bat call you and promoted to CEO, you're going back to South America. <laughs> so the <laughs> question I have is, does it take a promotion to take you to South America or what else can take you to South America?
1: Well, if it was for Beth, I would be living in the U.S. right now. I would be in, in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, somewhere in the area where she is. So just to be as close as possible.
0: <laughs> wow, that, 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 that's unbelievable. You know, it's... Uh... It's quite interesting because, you know, I mean, uh, we talked for almost an hour and uh, it's, um, you know, and uh, but then eventually, you know, we mentioned only once. They were born in Venezuela, and then uh, we spoke about all the other places, but then we're going back where we all come from. I think <laughs> you, you know, I think the answer, in my opinion, when they say, well, you're from, from Venezuela, I'm from Latin America, or whatever, I don't know. A-
1: yeah, the good thing about uh, having different backgrounds is you can use whatever uh, works the best in the situation. You know, If <laughs> I want to annoy somebody and he asks me where I'm from, say I'm from South America, I'm from Venezuela, don't you see, I mean, I look like a Venezuelan. <laughs>
0: It's incredible. You, you, you talk about you have um, uh, children of your own, you know, I mean, uh, you know, do you encourage your children to follow your footstep in the hospitality?
1: Not necessarily. I think, um, you know, my, my my parents didn't do that either. I think uh, the children, they, they are very smart. Uh, they... They uh, like uh, to follow their, um, you know, the, the, what they like to do most. They do it um, and they develop their skills and their habits. And uh, they, at this age, my daughter is 16. She just needs to, um, to find a direction that she likes. Um, it's difficult at this age to define a job um it's something that is asked a lot at this age in france because of uh, the the you know the diploma they are going to have and in the school i don't think that when she is in the job market uh, she will be pursuing um, a job that actually exists nowadays so i don't see any reason to push her into a direction or into a job a specific job but more into developing her skills um her her talents uh, and Finding those—it's—it's it's, uh, the the most important thing right now.
0: Well, I, I I must say it's um it's been an incredible conversation with you, you know. And uh, as I said, we take four years to find out a lot about you because you live in so many countries, you know. You you, you work in so many amazing, you know, project and companies, and you know, with a very talented people. So it, it's fantastic, and I can only say thank you very much for for. You know coming to our podcast and uh and uh we will do again this in a year or so let's see if this time i will, I will introduce you as the chief executive officer of campbell house
1: <laughs> i will let that know no worries
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much monica thank
1: you. excellent thank you very much.
0: appreciate it